as you're sitting down, I feel like sometimes we quickly move from singing a few songs to somebody preaching and then we sing a few songs and we all go home. I want to stop for just a second. You just sang a song, all right? And in that song, it says this. It says, you have a Savior that can move the mountains. You have a Savior that can move the mountains. You have a Savior that literally the Bible says in Colossians 1, it says your Savior created everything. Your Savior came in and created the smallest things from the atom and the proton and the neutron and the electron, clear down to even the smallest things we don't even understand yet, clear up to the most gigantic things of of stars that burn at 250,000 degrees Fahrenheit, of universe, this gigantic space that we don't get, that, that goes on and on in shapes and ways that we'll never be able to comprehend. And now let me throw at you something. Do you honestly, and don't answer this, okay? Don't clap or anything yet. Like, just think about this for a second. Do you honestly believe you have a Savior that can move mountains? Honestly. Like, no matter what's going on in your life right now, I don't care if it's job issues, I don't care if it's family issues or marriage issues or sin issues or whatever it is, I'm just asking you, before we quickly move from that last song, do you believe you have a Savior that can move mountains? Because the next question I have for you is if everyone in here that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, here's the wild thought I want to throw at you. That Savior, the first song we sang about, is alive in you. Have you ever stopped to ponder that? The very God that created all the universe literally took His Spirit and placed His Spirit inside every one of us. I mean, there is enough power in this room to radically transform Southern California. Skip the other two services. Just this service alone, there is enough power in this room. Because why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? See, everyone tends to say the sin that was so rampant. He couldn't find how many? Five faithful people. He would have saved the whole city if there were five faithful people. See, the thing that's so unique about God, and my hope is, and I was praying about this, I was trying to imagine if Jesus Christ was over there right now and he said, Todd, I'm not going to let you up there unless you have something so important to tell these people. And until you tell me what it is, I'm not letting you up there. It's this. Let me just throw out to you. Those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior are the most amazing creations that God has ever put on this planet. See, you weren't just born, the Bible says, you were born Again. And you are so unique and so special to him that then he also took and placed his Holy Spirit, the Bible says, inside of you. Jesus left and left us with his Holy Spirit. And now the voice of God echoes throughout the whole world, not only through his creation, but now through this unique people he calls his church that are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And you're indwelt by the God that can move mountains. And don't answer me, but just for a second, do you believe that? No matter what's going on in your life right now, do you honestly, deep in your gut, do you believe that? Because if you don't, you're never going to live this life that I believe God has called all of us to live, this amazing life that he's laid out in front of us. 
See, I think every one of us deep within ourselves knows we have this moment where we ask the question, God, what did you design me to do? What am I supposed to be about? Why did you create me? Why did you put me on this planet? Why did you give me the job you did? Why did you give me the wife you gave me, the kids you gave me? And and all these things, God, why did you do this? And I think the answer to that all comes in this amazing statement because he wants to move mountains through us. He's assembled a group of people here for some reason today. None of us deserve to be here. And it was to sing these amazing songs to God. And he pulled us all together to remind us, I am God. I am king. I move mountains. And now I'm alive in you to go and affect the whole world with this amazing truth that I can move mountains. The problem comes in with this. Here's where the problem is. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our lives, it's called individualism, that we lose the dynamic of what God has created us to be. See, God didn't make us to be lone rangers. If he would have made us to be lone rangers, he would have just put Adam in the garden, right? And then he would have put a bunch of other men around him to just kind of watch football and accomplish nothing in life, go to work from 8 to 5, but then come home and sit around on the couch. I mean, that's what we would have done. And by God's blessing, he created woman, right? Praise the Lord. Because he knew, Adam, you don't have all the skills you need. You need a helper, bro. And he created us to work uniquely together. And when everything was in perfection, not only did we need each other, but we needed God. The problem is we live in a culture that somehow now thinks they don't need anybody. Individualism, right? There's nothing wrong with individualism because God has created us all unique. But the problem is we've taken our individualism and we've made it about me. I was given this amazing gift of individualism and it's all about me. And in fact, we've even gone so far as to demand rights about me, haven't we? I was sitting in a Starbucks and I was uh, talking to this guy. And I go, so what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I'm a uh, lobbyist. I go, really? A lobbyist like Sacramento? He goes, yeah, like Sacramento. I go, well, what do you lobby? He goes, well, I lobby, lobby for the legalization of drugs. And then he goes, what do you do? <laughs> I lobby against you. I mean, it's just, except I go to the king, if you know what I'm talking about. So, but it's just this whole thing. And, and so we started rapping back and forth about why he does what he does. And so I go, so why are you so bent on making sure that drugs get legalized? Because he goes, it's our right. I go, okay, here's a question. What if your right hurts people? When does your right not become your right? He goes, listen, drugs only hurt the people that take them. <laughs> I wanted to say that's why we should not legalize drugs. Your statement right there. But I just said, okay, what if I can find one person that drugs has hurt that had nothing to do with drugs? He goes, well, of course, you can always find one. I go, what about five? He goes, well, you probably can find five. I go, 5,000? I go, what about a half a million, 500,000? And I finally looked at him and I go, did you know your rights are condemning about a half a million babies every year to be born addicted to truck, to drugs? Not a half a million, excuse me. It was less than that, 50,000 I think is what it is. But it's a huge amount. I went to another person. It was funny. We were sitting down talking. We were talking about um, just uniquely his view of, uh, of abortion. And I said, so why is abortion a right? Well, because it's the woman's body. And I go, okay, who says? Who says it's the woman's body? He goes, well, I say. 
I go, what if there's a God that created that woman? Doesn't he have the right over that body? He goes, well, yeah, if you believe in a God. And I said, you see, that's your problem. Somehow you think you have an authority that you don't have, an individualism that says, I will get mine at all costs. I sit down over and over with young people my age and younger that, man, we are the credit generation, if you know what I'm talking about. We get credit to get credit to get credit. And oftentimes we think, hey, it's just my stupid mistake. Is it really? From everything I understand, because people gave out stupid loans and people took stupid loans, now our economy is starting to tank in a way that's pretty significant. See, how everybody operates and and does things together really does matter. How people spend their money, how people make choices, it really does matter. I mean, even the world knows this to one extent, don't they? We had a president back in 1961 in his inauguration named John F. Kennedy that said, who's it? (laughs) Tell him I said hi. Okay. You can even open it and they could hear what I'm speaking on, whoever's phone it is. I don't even know whose phone it is. Anyway. Sorry, I get distracted. I'm ADD, king of the world. Um, but it's just, it's just this whole idea that, that, that we have somehow, he says this, ask not what your country can do for you, ask... See, even John F. Kennedy knew that. He knew that if everybody started going out and getting theirs, that a country falls apart. See, when all of a sudden my individual rights become about me, the we is doomed. It's doomed. And that's why God had these amazing commands. Love the Lord your God. You, individual, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second command, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, if anybody had rights when they came to earth, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Oh, when he came to earth, he came down as a pretty unique individual, right? The whole walk on water thing, the whole break bread, feed thousands of people thing. That's pretty cool. But isn't it amazing with all the power and the rights and authority that he was given, when everything was said and done, he got down on his hands and knees, he put a towel around his waist and he washed feet. That's power. That's taking the me thing and making it about we. In fact, one time I went to a concert, and I'll never forget this for the, for the rest of my life. It was probably one of the first concerts I ever went to. We walked into this gigantic hall. And as we walk in, I'm, 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 first of all, I'm not a music person. If there's not cheerleaders, a ball, and a goal, um, <sighs> we're wasting our time. But I was like, okay, and my mom really wanted me to be musical. So, um, I took piano lessons, you know, and she was just, she was thinking this is going to be her musical child, and boy, did I disappoint my mother. But, um, we walked into this to watch this this concert, and I remember walking in. And it was a, it was a large hall, you know, and, and I'm walking in and I'm hearing. Have you ever heard before an orchestra plays the and I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what am I coming to? You know, bands are only there for halftime entertainment when we all walk out to go get our, our goodies. But um, and so I'm sitting there going, man, where am I at? So we go over, we find our seats, you know, and. And pretty soon the lights dim, and I'm sitting there with my head back, and I'm going, wow, those are neat shapes on the ceiling, and what are those shapes, on the, what are those for, you know? And then all of a sudden, it got this eerie quiet in the room. And I hear the whole crowd just shush. And in suddenly to this orchestra walks this, this choir, and one by one, like a bunch of soldiers, they just fill in these risers behind, and I'm like sitting there going, whoa. 
All right, this is getting cool now. Nice robes, by the way. And, and, and so they're coming in. And, and then all of a sudden, there was one lady that she walks in from the side. And I'll never forget this. And she had on her robe. But she walked up to a stand just like this. And she kind of grabbed it. She adjusted some things. And she picked up a magic wand. And all of a sudden, she, after she done, she looked at everybody in the group. And when she stood up and she raised her hands, like seriously, everybody snapped too. Suddenly, the flutes are like... You know, and the horns are all ready to go, and, and I see the bows up, and, and you know, even the oboist, which I don't even know what an oboist is, sits there and does something, and, and I'm like, no way! And then she, with her little magic wand, she started doing something like this, and then all of a sudden she went like this, and out of them came a sound I will never forget. Because it wasn't one of those songs where they start off, na, 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 na. it was like this, boom! And I sat there, and it's even this right now as I'm telling this story, you know how the hair just stands up on the back of your neck? And I'm sitting there, there's this kid going, no way. And they're playing this song, and this lady's sitting there leading away, and everybody's playing their part, and I'm like, that is the group that sounded terrible when I walked in. They were doing the hee-haw-ree-burn thing. And now all of a sudden they were just together and playing this note. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden this conductor, like you see her suddenly look off at the choir. And she kind of has her hand up like this. And then she takes her little magic wand and she starts pointing at them. Out of their mouths come words with, and the melody and the harmony and making these noises. And I remember just sitting through this whole thing going, no way. That's amazing. See, the way God designed this world is He designed it and operated in such a way that even creation just screams out God, doesn't it? It's this magnificent chorus just every day going, God, God, God. And God is this conductor sitting there every day doing this and going, come on, sun, go ahead and come up. And clouds go across. And He's this whole thing that's happening, we go, wow. But then we come to a group of people that we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians. And Paul's looking at them as the church and he's saying this. God is not just the conductor of this world. Uniquely, God is the conductor of the church. And in God, as he conducts the church, he wants all of us to play our part. He wants all of us to grab the instrument that we play. And what he wants us to do is, is then, is that when he points at us, he wants us to know it's our turn to make sure this melody that every day comes out of the church says one thing. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Jesus is Lord. Whether by mouth or by action, no matter what happens, God has designed his church that when the Holy Spirit sits there and does this and points at us, all of us together with one voice proclaim, Jesus is Lord. The problem was this. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they were very much like we are today. In fact, if you want to know how to reach your culture, read First and Second Corinthians. The Corinthians were just like the United States. We were consumed with ourselves. We were trying to make ourselves happy by buying things, by, by, by thinking that somehow if we just had enough uh, money and sex and, and everything else that we would make ourselves happy. And Paul writes to this little church in Corinth and he says, no, be different. And in the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, he says, you wouldn't believe, you guys, who you are. You have everything you need to affect the world. Everything. But then as soon as verse 10 gets over, he goes, but we've got a problem, a huge problem. 
See, some of you think that the church is about finding a speaker to line yourself behind. And he said, some of you follow Cephas, and some of you follow Apollos, and some of you follow uh, Paul. And then he said, oh, and then there's those real spiritual ones that follow Jesus. In fact, one of the funniest things that ever happened to me at Cornerstone, I'll never forget this. I was standing outside, and I'm just kind of saying hi to people, blah, 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 and, and, and shaking hands. And all of a sudden, a car kind of pulls around, and a lady pulls up right out front at this front door, and I see her window go down. So I'm thinking, okay, she wants me. So I walk over, and I go, hi, how are you? And she goes, fine. And, and she goes, who's speaking today? I wanted to look at her and go, you are. We have you on here in a second. But I said, oh, it's a, we have a guest speaker. And she goes, oh. And I'm sitting there looking a little longer. She goes, I hate it when the other guys speak. (laughs) Yeah. So I told her I hate it when she comes to church. But that was a whole other thing. I didn't really. But in other words, what's happening though is is that Paul's saying, don't follow a person. When I first came to Jesus Christ, the person I thought that was just the best communicator and speaker in the world was a guy named John MacArthur. I thought, my gosh, how in the world does he open the Bible and pull all that stuff out of it? That's incredible. But I had to be reminded over and over, I wasn't following John MacArthur. My job is to find a group of people where Jesus is Lord. He comes finally into chapter 5 and he says, oh my gosh, your sin. A young boy is even sleeping with his stepmother. Your sin cannot proclaim Jesus is Lord. You guys got to deal with sin which is inside of you. You need to look at him and say, it's not about you, young man. It's about this body proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Chapter 6, they were suing one another, going to court. Oh my, oh my gosh. You don't take each other to court. You resolve it. You resolve it like believers do. Chapter 7, there were some people that were mad they were single and others that were mad they were married. I don't want to be married. I don't want to be single. And Paul goes, it's not about you. It's about a group of people that says, Jesus is Lord. Chapter 8, people came in and they said, I want my rights. Jesus saved me. He saved me to set me free. And so I want to enjoy all my gray areas. I want to do whatever I want. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about something bigger. It's bigger than what you get to do. It's about this gigantic thing of all of us coming together and living together and proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Now grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 9. Let me show you how Paul responded. Paul is writing to him and so he chooses to give himself as an illustration. And in giving himself as an illustration, what he wanted him to understand was, I, I do have rights. He said, as an apostle, I could exercise my rights if I wanted to. I could demand mine if I wanted to. But look what he does in chapter 9, verse 19. He says, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I love that statement. Paul could have made himself anything he wanted to as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He could have asked them for money. He could have asked them for support. He could have asked them for anything. But he says, I don't want to take money from you guys because I'm afraid you'll think I'm taking money from you for the wrong reasons. And so I'm just going to become a slave to you guys because I want to see people come to Jesus Christ. I want from this group of people for everyone to know Jesus is Lord. 
And he even says in this thing that to win as many as possible. He says, I'm willing to shapeshift my life, whatever it takes, in order for everyone to know Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He can move mountains. Look down at verse 23. He even says this. He goes, look, I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. See, Paul didn't do this for nothing. Paul wasn't bored and think, oh yeah, I'm a masochist. I want to ruin my life. No, see, the thing that he understood is that when me became less important than we, actually blessings started to come. See, everyone has this wrong idea that I'm supposed to somehow make myself happy at all costs, go do these things, and God's like, I didn't design for you to be happy that way. All the time I have, I have couples that come in and say, I think God wants me to be happy. Oh, good for you. You're right, he does want you to have happiness, but not like you're thinking. See, we have a warped view of what makes us happy. We don't understand that God didn't design this world for me to go out there and enthrall myself with things and places and stuff. He didn't design us to find happiness that way. He designed us to find happiness through Him and through these amazing creatures called people that He's designed. Right? All the places you've been in the world will not be at your funeral. You get that, right? Greece is not going to come to your funeral. Your car will not be at your funeral. My house won't be at my funeral. My job won't be at my funeral. Who will be at my funeral? People. The most important beings or things upon this planet are human beings. And Paul says, I've made myself a slave that I might win those ones to help them understand that they have a God that can move mountains. And he goes to chapter 10. Look at verse 31. So he says, whatever you eat or whatever you drink or, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. See, the thing I love about this church is this church does sacrifice to do big things. We do. This Thursday, or actually it's Wednesday, I get in this check request form for $250,000 that I'm supposed to sign that we're going to give to CHF. And I just sat it down for a second. I'm like, $250,000? God, somehow your spirit through your people asked your people to sacrifice in such a dynamic way that we're going to be able to be involved in something that we don't deserve to get be involved in. We get to give it to an institution like CHF who's going to go use this money to do things that we'll never, ever even imagine. Do you realize how cool that was? I mean, do you realize how enjoyable it is? I'm always blown away. I don't know, and I don't mean this to be arrogant. How could we ever be arrogant? But have you ever just said, man, I get to be involved at Cornerstone Community Church? A church of people that sacrifices and loves God because we love this big, giant thing that God's doing around the world. And Paul says, get enthralled with that. And then he comes to chapter 12. And he starts off with this statement where he says, now about. Now what's happening is, is that he's answering all these questions. What the Corinthians had done is they'd written him a letter and they said, Paul, we need to understand all these things. 
Can you help us understand what we're supposed to do in chapter 7, verse 1, about this whole marriage single thing? Chapter 7, verse 25, the whole marriage single thing. Uh, he gets to chapter 8, verse 1, and they said, look, now about, and they wanted to ask him about this whole issue of gray areas. Chapter 16, verse 1, they wanted to know about, hey, what do we do about this offering that we're supposed to give to Jerusalem? In Acts 16, 12, they want to know about, okay, so what's going on with Apollos? We haven't seen Apollos for a little while. And Paul comes to him, he says, now I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts. I want to talk to you about something that, in fact, I really believe there's a reason Paul spends three chapters talking about it, because it is so very important. See, anytime Paul writes a lot about something, okay, just, you know, when you study your Bible, that means it's important. All right? Very important. And he says, now about spiritual gifts. Now, this word spiritual gifts, it, it, it's actually one Greek word. It, it's a Greek word called pneumatikos, which the first word is pneuma, which means spirit. And he connects this suffix to it, this ending, ekos, which literally what it means is these things by character that are the spirit or that are controlled by the spirit. In fact, the word probably shouldn't be spiritual gifts. We should just probably read it now about the spirituals. Okay, now I'll explain to you why later, why it shouldn't be gifts. Because it's bigger than just the gifts I think Paul's talking about. He's talking about not only the gifts, but how we use the gifts and what happens with the gifts. And then he says this really unique thing off the end of it. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. See, the reason I started off today asking you, do you believe this God can move mountains and do you believe this God is inside of you? I don't want you to be ignorant. See, the thing that is so cunning about the evil one is the evil one desperately doesn't want us to start operating these spirituals, these spiritual gifts. Because he knows once these spiritual gifts start to operate, we're going to learn in verse 3, Jesus gets proclaimed as Lord. And in fact, one lady came up to me earlier and she said, you know what, I heard this little statement from somebody when I was a kid. If Satan can't make us bad, he makes us busy. True? See, a lot of us aren't out killing kittens, are we? We're too busy to kill kittens, right? We got all kinds of things going on. We wake up in the morning and our day's just like bang, 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 bang. Finally, we come home and it's like, you're, you know, you just like, sometimes you just come home and you're sitting on your couch going, what in the world just happened today? I know I took the kids here and I know we did this and I know I kissed my wife sometime around 6 and 6.30 in the morning and I know that freeway place that I absolutely hate. I was out on that. And it's just after that, you're like, what in the world? See, these spirituals are so important. These spirituals God has given to the church because He knows that once the church starts to buy into these spirituals and everyone starts to go, oh my gosh, God gave me that. And we start coming together and we start helping each other with sin and we start helping each other really truly begin to walk with Jesus Christ. You'll have a group of people that are just proclaiming, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And then the world will stand up and go, oh. But Satan doesn't want that. See, Satan wants us all going, me, 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 mine, 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 mine. Why? Because that's how he did it way back when. In the garden. How did he go after Eve? He said, Eve, you can be like God. Eve, you can have it all, baby. It's all about you. And then you had the moron on the side going, huh? Right? <laughs> Sounds good. But it's this whole idea that Satan is constantly telling us, I want you to be ignorant. 
I want you to think that you shouldn't be around the body of Christ. I want you getting busy so you can't be with these people. I want you to not be able to get together because once you start getting together and you start using your spirituals to encourage one another, the only thing that comes out of it is Jesus is Lord and I don't want that. See, that's his point in verse 2. Look down at verse 2. See this? He says this to him. He says, you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. What he's saying is, is that literally something is controlling you and you are worshiping something. Everybody on this planet is being controlled by something and is worshiping something. It was so funny. I went to a a coffee shop and I sat down with this guy and, and we started rapping back and forth. And I opened up my Bible and I started sharing with him about how he could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally he just stopped me. He goes, wait, he goes, I don't want to come to Jesus. And I go, why? He goes, well, I mean, in some ways it makes sense. I totally get it. But he goes, I'm going to be a slave to no one. (laughs) It's funny you should talk about that. (laughs) But no, but I just look back at him and I go, I hate to tell you this, man. You're a slave to something. I go, the difference between you and I, however, is the Bible talks about you're a slave to sin, which the only result of sin is death. And I'm not just talking this one-time death. I'm talking eternal death. I go, I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. And the only outcome of that is life. I go, every day you're worshiping something. He goes, no, it's not. It's all about me. And I go, exactly. (laughs) You're worshiping you. See, the thing the evil one does that's so cunning is he gets us focused on ourselves. In fact, those words led that he he talks about in verse 2, this idea of somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. It's this whole idea that the the words are actually like a captive, an innocent captive being led away off towards a, a, a captor that is taking him. Uniquely, then, the captor would do something awful to him. See, every day out there, I hope you get that. When you walk out your door, there are hundreds upon hundreds of people that you will run into every day that this world has them by this little ring in their snout and is just pulling them helplessly towards something that they don't want. And Paul says, that's not you guys anymore. That's not you. You're not mastered by that stuff anymore. In fact, in Romans 6, that's his whole point to him. He's like, you're not about that anymore. You're about something bigger and better and more huge. And that's why, look at verse 3. He says, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. See, I struggled with that verse for the longest time, going, now what in the world is Paul talking about? Like, why did he include verse 3? In some ways I was trying to figure out, like, why did he include verse 2? And then it started to make sense. He said, I want the Spirit to control you. Because these mute idols that he's talking about, what he means by mute is, is they have an incapability to speak. Back in the day, the reason they called them mute idols was is they had an incapability to do anything. He's trying to convince them that, look, cars and houses and relationships and all this stuff that everybody's pursuing is mute. It has no hope. No hope whatsoever. He says, but when you're controlled by the Spirit, something different happens to you. Now, he's not saying that just because I can say Jesus is Lord somehow that that makes me okay. Because there will be people, it talks about out of Matthew 7, there will be people that will come to Jesus and say, Oh, Lord, Lord, and he's going to look at them and say, Depart from me, I don't even know you. See, it's not just about the ability to vocalize, but it's this idea that with this pneumaticos, this spirit that has control of me, when the spirit has control of me, my life can't help but say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. In fact, in John 15, Jesus says, Look, when the spirit comes, he's going to come in such a way that he is going to magnify my name. 
And when he comes into my life uniquely, all of a sudden, Todd's life now becomes about a magnification of Jesus Christ. Now when you put all of us together, watch out. Because when the Spirit of God has control of us and he pulls us all together, it's like that conductor going, come on, here we go. And this whole chorus is just, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. But the problem that they were facing in this church was this. There were some people that honestly thought they weren't important to this chorus. In fact, later on in chapter 12, they're going to say, Oh, I'm just a foot. I wish I were the eye. And the eye was going, <laughs> I'm the eye. And you're the mere foot. <laughs> and there's this whole idea that somehow there are some that thought I don't belong here. And there were some that thought they didn't belong here. And Paul is saying, no, that's the work of the evil one. See, the evil one loves to convince some of us in this room that we are not important to what's happening at Cornerstone. I'm just the person that shows up and throws my money in the basket, hears a really cool message, and then I go home. He loves to convince other of us that we're a little too important to this thing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not like that at all. In fact, look at verse 4. He says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of works, but the same God works all of them in all men. See, here's what's so cool about this. That word, you see that word, that word different? Some of your versions might say distinct or unique. It literally means this idea that when you got saved, any of you in this room that came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Uniquely what happened was the Spirit came into your life and gave you something that nobody else on this planet receives. It's so distinct. That means he looked at Randy Van Duick and he says, Randy, I'm going to give you something on this planet that nobody else gets, a gift. You as my child, as my son, and I as your daddy, I'm giving you something that nobody else on this planet has, nobody. That's what that word distinct gift means. Morgan Harmon, I'm giving you something that nobody else on this planet gets. And he hands off this gift. Now, the idea of a gift is literally, I don't deserve it. Meaning, Morgan didn't deserve that unique thing that when God said, Morgan, I'm giving this to you and to nobody else on this planet. Nobody. And it's a gift you didn't deserve. And then he follows it up with this. In verse 5, he says, in services. It actually should say, services. And now what God says is he looks at Morgan and he looks at Randy and he says, look, you guys, you need to now take this gift and you need to go use it like Jesus used his. You need to go around all the time with a, with a towel wrapped around your waist just going, you wouldn't believe this. <laughs> God gave me this gift, okay? And I have to wash your feet. <laughs> and I like feet. And you just go around to these people and whatever it is, and we're going to talk about these things here in just a little bit, but it's using it how Jesus would use it. Come alongside people and saying, I know I'm made unique unlike anybody else in the world, but it's not about me. I'm going to take this thing that God gave me and I'm going to go find people. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and we're just going to love on them like crazy. I'm going to take the way God created me and I'm going to go out there and use it like Jesus did. And here's the cool part about verse 6. Look at verse 6. See where in some of your versions you'll say there are different kinds of working? That's a bad way of looking at it. There's a Greek word in there that literally what it means, and you will get results. You'll get results. 
Isn't it wild to think that you are the only person on this planet that has the gift you have, the opportunity to use it the way you have, and you will always get results that nobody else will get on this planet? See, the reason when I came to Christ, I think everybody does in a weird way, like a good preacher, you know, we'll get up there and we'll be like, oh, I want to be like him. I like his results. I mean, I just went to the Catalyst Conference and when Francis got done preaching, it was like result. I'm like, oh. I want to be Francis. I just don't want his basketball game. I, you know, it's just this thing where it's like, I, I, we, all, we all kind of in a weird way go, oh, I like his results. But that was Paul's point. He's like, no, you don't want Francis's results. In fact, one guy was riding up with me in the elevator and he goes, oh, gosh. And, he, and I think I told you about this one time, but he, just, he said to me, he goes, oh, I just wish I could speak like Francis. And I go, you've never sat down with him personally, have you? I mean, it's just this thing. And it, I'm kidding, by the way. I'm totally kidding. All right? But sometimes people are shocked because he's up here speaking a certain way and then you sit down with him in his office and you're like, oh, Be funny. Do something. You know? But it's this whole idea that Francis was created unique. In fact, in verse 8, see that gift, the word of wisdom? That's one of Francis's gifts. He's the kind of guy that walks into a room and, and, and he'll go to preach and he'll use these, he'll start speaking through a message that you think, oh, I've read this passage before. But then all of a sudden he starts speaking, you go, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way before. Wow. See, Francis's gift is the cool gift, by the way. Because everybody goes, oh, wow. See, some of us don't have that gift because, see, mine's the next one. <laughs> mine's called the gift of geek. Okay? It's the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge is this. I love books. I sit down. I've got books in my bathroom. I've got books on my table at home. My wife is always cleaning up my books. I'm going through like four or five books a week where I'm just like, <laughs> Woo! I love small books. I love meeting books. I love big books and I cannot lie. I mean, I just it's this whole idea that I just absolutely... I love books. I mean, when I find a book that's got a footnote, I'm like, oh. I'm walking up to my wife and I'm like, you couldn't believe it. There's more information. <laughs> and then I'm reading this book and I'm going through this book going, no way. And I get to the end and it's my favorite section. The bibliography. More books about the book I just read. I'm like, there's a God. I am the geek that would, I would go back to school tomorrow if people didn't make fun of me. I would go get like five different doctorates and they, they could be in anything. I mean, who cares what it's in? I would do it in music and I don't even know a thing about music. I just, I love to absorb information. And I remember a ton of information. I don't know why. People will sit down with me and we're talking about dumb things and all of a sudden I'll go, hey, yeah, you know, one time when I was 13, I read about this and I'm sitting there and blah, blah, blah. And they're looking at me like, why did you remember that? And I'm like, I don't know. But I'm just going to geek on you today. I mean, it's just, that's that thing. See, when Francis gets up here and speaks, God uniquely designed him from the moment that he was born to come in here and to ooze wisdom on you. That's his job. That's what God designed him to do. And when Francis is really doing it, you know it. 
God designed me for some reason. God put me together inside of my mother's womb. He crafted me and he grew me up in the family that I was in. And, and, he, and he made me this consumer of information. And then when I got saved, I mean, when I got saved, the first book I read, I rem- I'll never forget this. I saw these two seminary, or, uh, Bible school students reading the two, the two volumes of Jonathan Edwards. So I thought, oh, that's what Christians do. And so I went and checked out the two works of, of Jonathan Edwards. And I'm like, hmm. Most people would be drinking lots of water because it's so dry. But I'm like... No way. <gasps> and I'm about, ha- about two-thirds done with the second volume and this pastor that had kind of led me to the Lord. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> oh. And I pull out. I'm like, look at this. Would you look at this, man? And they're looking at me like, you're weird, but that's what God designed me to be. See, when I stand in front of you, my job is just to geek all over you. See, most people wouldn't sit down and go, oh my gosh, Numa, Ikos. Yes. But to me, when I get down with my Greek text, I'm like, oh, come children. Be a geek with Father Todd. You know, I mean, it's just the way I am. And for some reason, God knew because he brought me here that this body needed me. But see, sometimes I don't think you really believe that God needs you. For some reason, each and every one of you in this room, God crafted you together. And when you came to Jesus Christ, man, he took this gift and he said, look, nobody else on this planet gets this. And it's not to be used to just make your life cushy and clean and nice. It's to be used in a unique way to use it like Jesus would use it. To get down and to wash feet. But the thing about it is, the thing I want to convince you of is, is if you use that gift like God designed you, you will see results and blessing like you've never imagined. There's nothing more cool. I love sitting down with couples and walking through a marriage that looks like it's going to fall apart and then all of a sudden you see the Spirit of God come in and their marriage is fixed. That's another one of my gifts. I have this ability to, I don't know, sort through the baloney, I guess would be my gift. It's just this thing when, when people come in to sit down with them and, and to work through these different things. However, if you're in the hospital, I'll come, but mercy's not one of my top ones. I'm the type of person where it's like, you know, just suck it up. <laughs> You know, rub some dirt on it. You'll be cool. No, in fact, you want to call that person, right? Because you don't, Paul's later in 1 Corinthians 14 going to say, you don't want a prophet to come to you if you don't need a prophet. And you want somebody at the right situation to come to you. Francis isn't always the best person to do something. He's great at preaching. But there's other things he's not so good at that all of you in this room have way more giftedness and talent at. In fact, I'm the type of person you shouldn't... I, I, oh, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, but there's just this idea, though, that literally others of you are better than me at what I do. And God put this church together, and all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit starts to go, okay, right now I need the word of wisdom, Francis. You bring it, bro. Come on. And Francis comes up here, and then they, they calls on the resident geek, and the geek comes up and just does his thing. And, and some of you are merciful, and some of you all these things. And he's pulling this church together in such a unique way that all of a sudden, when he's waving his hands, the chorus that comes out of the church without saying one word is, Jesus is Lord. And that's what we're about. See, the thing about that chorus, that I, or that concert that I went to is this. That lady's conducting away and she's going a million miles an hour and I'm just mesmerized by what's happening. And all of a sudden, you know that point when the conductor does this? And everything just goes silent. But the music still kind of hangs in the air in a weird way. 
I remember just sitting there for about two or three seconds, nothing happened, and then all of a sudden, everybody starts to chant, stand up and be like, Woo! You know, and usually, unless you put a little round ball through a cylinder, I don't cheer for you. But I'm sitting there going, that was good. Wasn't that good? That was good. You know, I'm just looking around everybody because that thing was brought together by a master. And that chorus that came out of there left all of us absolutely speechless. All we could do was clap. See, when all of you grab the gift that God's designed you to have and you start to use it how God's designed it to be used, all the world can do is sit back and go, And that's why we need each other. See, back here in verse 7, it says, look, the the Spirit distributed. He manifested Himself through this body and He finishes it for one purpose. He says, for the common good. I need you guys. I desperately need you guys. See, I, I believe deep within my gut, every time I sit down across from another believer, I'm looking at them like, oh my gosh, they have a gift that for some reason in God's whole big giant scheme of things, they sat them down across from me and I need them to use their gift in my life. When you sit down across believers, do you ever just look at them and go, oh my gosh, the God that moves mountains is inside you. And he's gifted you a certain way like nobody else on this planet and I need you. And at the end of it, the only thing we can say is, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. I love this church. But I still believe we can sing better. Amen? And I believe God can do work in here. And I believe if all of us really truly grab that thing that God's designed us to be. By the way, don't take a spiritual gifts test. If you have and it worked, well... That's good, but I don't see Paul going to the Corinthians going, okay, you wouldn't believe it. I got this gifts test. Woo! No, he says love. Just go love people. See, what happens with, with spiritual gifts tests, it's almost like puts me in a, in a union. I'm sorry, I'm the word of knowledge guy. I can't do anything word of wisdom, I'm sorry. No. Just start being Jesus to everyone. Start getting in each other's lives. Start being what God created you to be and watch out what God does. Amen? Amen. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. God, I don't know in your sovereign plan why you placed all of us together completely other than I know that somehow we're supposed to come together and we're supposed to live out what you created us to be in such a way that, that Jesus would be Lord. I pray for every person in here, Father. I beg you that your spirit would open their eyes to the gift that they've, you, they've been given from you that they would truly see that they're an amazing creation. They were created in Christ Jesus for good works before even the world was ever formed. And that God then, that they would go and take that amazing gift and they would just begin to serve and serve and serve and serve and serve. And then, God, you would open their eyes to the results. And then I pray that Cornerstone would never be the same because of all these people just taking what they've been given from you, that gift, using it like Jesus, and then you causing growth that we could never imagine. I love you so much. Thanks for the giving of your Holy Spirit. God, I can't wait for what you're going to do at Cornerstone Community Church. Thanks for what you've already done, but we still look forward to more. In your precious name we pray. Amen.